What up, everybody? We are back with another episode. I am thrilled. I don't use that word too often, but I'm thrilled for our next guest. Adam, let's just dive into who's here. Man, our guest has dedicated his life to the betterment of his community and our nation, and particularly for individuals in our society that are oppressed. He has persevered in the domain of education, graduating with a bachelor's of science from Concordia College, as well as a law degree from Howard University, despite barriers from the school system where he was raised in the Bronx. Adding to our long list of distinguished guests, gentlemen, mm. please help me welcome the president of Black Lives Matter Greater NY, Jeez. Hawk Newsom. Hawk. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> Hey, Hawk, <laughs> the Hawk has landed with us. Right on. What's good, brother? Man, you know, I think that's a good, just a really good segue real quick. Can, is Hawk your birth name? No, actually, um, I, I, I adopted it after I got baptized. Uh, tell us about that story. Why Hawk? Okay, my name, I was born Walter L. Newsom Jr., right? had a good day. I could get any job until I showed up and they saw I was black, right? It's interesting. Throughout my adult life, I always saw hawks, right? Started when I was about maybe 26, 27. I was throwing a birthday party for my sister. She was turning 21 at Lotus in NYC. And I'm trying to get every, I'm trying to get her clothes right. I'm trying to get the table established. I'm trying to get the people there. And I'm walking my Rottweiler in the Bronx and I see a hawk circling over my head on 161st. And it's so big, I thought it would pick up my Rottweiler. Because I had a little runt Rottweiler named Shaka Zulu. And then and the, and the bird flew low. And then it landed on the statue. And I looked at this bird for like 15, 20 minutes. You know what I mean? And it looked at me. It was a weird experience, bro. It was a weird experience. But then it started happening more. Too many to tell y'all, but like I'll be driving home from work and a hawk will fly like eight feet above my windshield for like a half mile, a mile. Then when, you know, my son went, my son is nonverbal autistic. When he was 10, he, he, had, he had a pacemaker put in at birth. They had to change the battery. I took him, he went under for surgery. I took his mom's across the street to get some food. I look up, it's two, it's hawk a hawk fly, flying around the surgery. Surgery is supposed to take four hours. They call us in an hour and a half. Please come over right now. We get over there and they're like, we took the pacemaker out of your son's chest to change the battery. And it, you know, actually it was hard to get to because his muscles were so strong around it. And um, it appears as though his heart is strong enough without the pacemaker to survive. So by the grace of God, I ain't never heard of nobody get a pacemaker taken out, right? The Hulk was right there. My dad, yo, when my dad died, it was like these two Hawks. I just kept seeing them almost every day, right? When he died for like a month, when he died, I ain't seen him for a while. So I started researching it and indigenous people believed that it was either a warning or a sign that you're on the right path, right? I kept digging a little deeper 
in ancient Kemet, the Egyptians believed that hawks were protectors from evil above and messengers from the other side. And, and, and it's just throughout times of my life, the hawks have appeared. So it was like when, you know, I went down into the water, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you all. I was a hellraiser. I was a violent drunk, right? And I gave my life to God and I went to AA and I got dirty and I got sober. All this happened at the same time. So when I got baptized, I was like, new man, new name, like Saul and Paul. Remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So so I took on a new name. Let me tell you all something. When I got the the place I operate at is not for somebody who don't believe in God or have faith. Like you just won't get me. You'll think I'm crazy. The day I got baptized, it was these huge thunderstorms around New York City. I'm not lying to you. Right. And they were like these beautiful rainbows. If you go to my to my Instagram, go all the way back to June 2016, you'll see the next day it was like these rainbows all, all over the city. It was like this huge storm. And then something beautiful came out of it. After and, this, after um, you went under the next day. Yeah. Okay. No, this was the day of the baptism. <laughs> the day of. It was, okay. It was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. Wow. All right. So the hawk has landed with us indeed. So look, we off the beaten path, right? As, as professionals, we are in sports medicine. So just a little quick bit about Adam and I and Kristen, Adam is a physician assistant, worked at high level orthopedic offices in his, in his career, working with professional sports, et cetera. He's also a certified athletic trainer. Okay. I'm a certified athletic trainer, strength and conditioning coach, working at a high level, working at the Olympic level. Dr. Ross is a high level athletic trainer as well, working at a quote unquote lower level of sport. You know, he's at the high school level, but doing like high level work. In an underserved high school. In an underserved high school, black and mostly, mostly brown. Right, Chris? Yep. And this is Dr. Ross. Dr. Ross, by the way, he's got his he's got his doctorate degree, young, young hog. Right. on. And so we as athletic trainers. Are off the path in terms of like even how we're having this podcast episode and we're like, what the hell does the athletic training profession have to do with the founder of Black Lives Matter in a particular region? Mm -hmm. You know, what's the connection? What's the. And so we are here to bridge that gap because we have some understanding about things that are outside of our purview, still impacting, having a direct and very influential impact, especially this, the stuff that we're talking about on our profession. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there are some podcasts out there or you go to conferences for athletic training and they're talking about the newest research in ACL surgeries or the, you know, the newest development in chronal chronic lateral ankle st- instability or a, a, a mental health. There's a lot of things, right? Which are all good things, but we're saying, Hey, where we want to enter in and wiggle into the space because people aren't talking about this is let's talk about the disparities that we see in our profession from, a, from, from practitioners practicing this thing. In addition to the services that are received by our field and by our profession, not getting those services. And so anyway, tell us a little bit about you knowing what you knew about us. Why did you decide to come 
and be on our show with us with some sports medicine professionals and give us your time, especially considering where you at right now. Okay. I'm an athlete. Right. I was born. I, I've been an athlete. I was an athlete before I was a revolutionary. Really. Hey, talk to us a little bit about this. Come on. Hey, you know. <laughs> but um, no. I mean, realistically, I, you're talking about disparities in a profession. That's naturally a lane for me. Um, I like to bring this message that that I have. Our modus operandi for Black Lives Matter, Greater New York, Black opportunities. I like to bring that to different areas right so i'll talk to anyone anywhere and and it's good not to be speaking in the echo chamber it's good to talk to people who are different right mm-hmm. what about and it's good to listen to people who aren't a part of your echo chamber too wow. for our listeners so y'all hang in here with us hear my man hawk speak go ahead no i, I went on um andy Frisilla's show you know andy Frisilla. I listened. I listened two days ago, Huck. Bet. Okay. He has first form. He has all these products. It's like he does doing the 75 hard. It's like all these supplements. He has a cult following, literally. And he's one of those Instagram motivational speakers. 75 hard. Got it. Yeah, 75 hard. I was reluctant to go on this show. I was like, this dude is he cool, but he right wing. I don't know what it's like. And we literally sat down and talked for hours, right? And his audience receives me like no other audience. And these are like American flag waving Trump supporters who just really sat back and listen like, oh, shit, this nigga, I'm, this brother's not crazy. He actually <laughs> makes a lot of sense. You know what I mean? But it's funny because the news will paint me out to be the bad guy. Because they don't want this truth getting out. They don't want us talking about how not only are the Republicans, but it's the Democrats, too, who are against the progression of black people. They don't want us talking about how it's the job of both political parties to keep black Americans and white Americans fighting against each other, keep us distanced and voting separately. People don't want that truth. <laughs> like, like people don't want to talk about that. Like they want me to be angry black man and F the police and this and that, but they don't want you really getting into the, the oppression of my people in America. Which he could do that too, by the way. Um, sir, I, I can be F the police and whatever on both sides. Right. And, and may have done that. Yeah. Uh, quite a couple of times, you know, might need to get into that a little bit. So Hawk, let's, let's go back to, so you were an athlete. Let's talk a little bit about your athletic experience. And man, there's so much that we could say about that, right? I love the line you said, I was an athlete before I was a revolutionary. I just think about how powerful athletics is for the world, right? Even when I'm in the space that I operate in at the Olympic level, being able to travel all over the place and be exposed to sports that we don't think about commonly because they're not professional and televised and all of that. So there's so many sports and they're played all over the globe, literally games and whatever. And there's something about athletics and being an athlete that all of us, that's a connecting point for, for the world in many ways. Right. So we are athletes before we are any kind of professional, especially if we start playing at a young age. Right. So whether you're a doctor, lawyer, a revolutionary, the president, a Republican, a Democrat, before you're any of those things, you're, you, you are an athlete. So anyway, 
Talk to us about your athletic experience and healthcare as an athlete. Wow. I don't know if you want to talk to me about healthcare as an athlete because my senior season, I had like a fractured rib, separated shoulder, broke toe, and I wouldn't stop playing. <laughs> I don't care. I still got that broke toe now. I should have listened to somebody. But um, I was just a, a savage. I was a 6'4", 6'5", power forward, right? So I had to be tough. Like, I, I had to get in there, throw bowls, get in the fights, and just be a, a monster in the paint. I think I played on one of the greatest AAU teams ever assembled. I played for the Riverside Church Hawks traveling team. And on that team, we had Elton Brand. We had Ron Artest, a.k.a. Meta World Peace. We had uh, Reggie Jesse. We had, like, what? three other McDonald's All-Americans. Bro, you hooped with these cats? Yeah, I used to hoop. I used to come on the pitch and average like 14 a game. That's decent. Not only did I hoop, dog, I was getting buckets. <laughs> Bang, baby. <laughs> right on. So broke toes, fractured ribs, senior year high school. No, that was college. College, senior year college. Excuse me. Yeah. Where'd you go to college? Um, I went to Midland Junior College out in Texas, and then I finished up at Concordia, a small D2, just outside the city. Did you have an athletic trainer at either of those places? Midland. Midland was cream of the crop. You come here, you're going to a big school. All you got to do is focus and get your grades right. And uh, we had several trainers. Like, they come to our, our dorm rooms, the pop blisters, at night, like, like these folks went above and beyond to keep us happy. But at Concordia, it was like I, I, I had offers like I had a lot of schools watching me, but I was a knucklehead, bro. I wanted to be a gangster. Mm. You know what I mean? Like instead of being a ball player and being focused, I wanted to be a gangster. So I took my gangster ass to a division two school. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right? And that's the reality of a lot of kids. And a lot of athletes that people in our profession are working with, a small, small, small percentage of folks are working in those areas and who need people like us working with them. Right? Yeah. And so I'm glad you brought that point up because th like, that's, that's a reality that we have to be at, at minimum mindful of as professionals in this industry if we want to really care for people well, particularly black and brown people. And I would probably yeah. imagine some white, some white, white kids too, right? You know, wanting to be a gangster, right? Or whatever else. And so I, I'm glad you, Rich, you mentioned that, man, because, I mean, looking at where, you at, where you're at now and the, the, the pedigree that you come from, it might make some people uncomfortable how you're using your your skills and tool sets, your your skill sets and tools. But you right there with the best of them. By the grace of God. By the grace of God. At last is proud to announce that we have teamed up with Raincross High Performance and Thorn to support athletes from underserved communities. If you purchase supplements through the Raincross High Performance Dispensary via Thorn you can receive a 35% discount on products purchased. Not only does Raincross offer the highest discount possible to their performers, but 100% of the profits 
from their dispensary will go to initiatives supporting athletes from underserved communities via At Last. If you are looking for high quality products from omega 3s to vitamin D, go to www.thorn.com forward slash u forward slash raincross hp to receive 35% and support our cause. I have some thoughts, and we've touched upon these points before, but everything that you two just discussed is a prime reason why having people from diverse backgrounds as sports medicine providers is really important. There's an understanding piece. There's an experience piece. Yeah. There is a having grace with other people piece because they're coming from different areas of life that have had different experiences. And if you just don't even think about these things, then a, then a medical provider may think, well, here's this individual that came to Midland college and he might be having some struggles or he may not fit in appropriately because he's here for sports, but he grew up in a much different environment than he's currently in. You just have better patient care if you just understand some of those variables. And if, and if we're not talking about that, then some people are just not even going to think about this. They may just be like, this person's acting out, but that person's maybe acting out because there's a lot of variables that's coming into his life into play in the change in yeah. scenery, the change in scenario, the change in environment. That's a really so, good point. No, I'm sorry. I've seen, I've had teammates that failed out because they couldn't deal with the culture shock because they couldn't make the transition from home to college. Like I could name so many athletes from the Bronx who went somewhere and either got into trouble or knocked somebody out or caught a case. Like, where we come from, bro, like, it, the cultural norms are so skewed that there has to be a serious transition and education of people leaving our community. Mm. Right. Because the Bronx is that type of place where we are, where we react in violence. I had, um, I'll never forget Big Dave Murray went to Providence and Murray was about 16. He was from my block and Murray laid somebody out, put the dude in a coma, I believe. He knocked him out. But it was a bar. At school? Yeah, at school. It was like a bar fight or something like that. But he went to work for homeboy. Like, like that's that's our response. Like a lot of people might argue and that it had to be it. No, we argue and we cross a certain point, we will hurt you, right? Or if we feel like you're attacking our pride, our heart, the way that we respond might not be to go into a shell. You might get cursed out. We might throw some things around, slam some things around and walk out of that space. And and what, what you said, Adam, was, was great because a lot of people might say, hey, look at that kid. That kid's a jerk. He's an, he's an a-hole. He's a menace. Yep, yep. You understand that that is a conditioned and acceptable response where that kid's from. And you're, that, you're doing that kid a disservice. That was, that was solid. Defense mechanism. Yeah. We literally just had this conversation before you came on. And 
healthcare providers need to treat patients from a biopsychosocial model. And if you're not including the social history and history of trauma in one's life, you're not going to have the same patient outcomes. Wow, honey. You hear you hear this cat, huh? Do you hear him? Yeah, yeah, Do you yeah. hear my boy Adam, bro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see it. I dig it. I dig it. Because in our profession, man, it what dominates the space is the is the ACL or in, to use lateral ankle sprain. To use his the, to use the technical term, it's the bio. Maybe not even so much psycho. That starts coming a little later, but it's heavily bio, little less psycho, and even far less social. So far less. So anyway, so what we're trying to do in our world of of sports medicine and then the greater medical field or allied health profession or whatever as a whole is to start to elevate the social and the psycho too, but especially the social model part of this model so that it can truly be a biopsychosocial model, you know, and we could even add in the spiritual piece too, right? For some of us, right? Like Hawks, I appreciate you even talking through that too. So, so, so I'm going to add a layer and Hawk has talked about this. So any of our listeners who have, you know, watched his Ted talk or listened to some of his podcast, the podcast that he has been on, Food oppression. Hold on. By the way, those talks are the talks where he's not as charged up. So he also got those videos where you hear him charged up. So listen to those too. Those are good for you. Right. But also make sure you come and pay some mind to what Adam is about to talk about. Yeah, I was about to segue us into some discussion on food oppression and availability because so many student athletes that come from underserved communities and ones that we are treating in underserved communities like Dr. Ross do not have appropriate nutrition just to lead a healthy lifestyle, let alone compete in athletics. Hungry. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Until we rise. <laughs> and, and I, and I, know, <laughs> I know Hawk has been part of efforts to try to address food insecurity I'm going to quickly just label and define food insecurity so we can so we can dig into it. But some resources define food insecurity as inadequate physical access, limited economic access, lack of space to prepare your food, lack of knowledge of the food preparation, no time for food preparation and lack of knowledge to what to what to eat to lead to health. So. Food insecurity, what I'm trying to say by defining this or, or listing factors, is not just availability. There's a lot of factors to why people can't have nutritious food. I like that. Yeah. And the common narrative is just the access piece. And that's one part of it. But, you know, one of the things that I, I can recall, like in my time growing up where I grew up, Linwood, Compton, when I worked at, when I, even when I would work in that area and I needed to go to lunch, if I didn't pack lunch, if I didn't bring my own lunch, my options for what I could go and eat were very limited. So it was like, okay, I got access to food, but it's Tams, it's Louis Burgers, is you know, chili cheese fry, you know, like my options, you know, it's the Chinese restaurant right across the street. So it mixed with the chicken spot in the nail shop in the back. Facts. <laughs> you know, and so... So I'm glad you brought that up, Adam, because it's one thing to say, yeah, okay, there's access, but then it's another thing to say, what are we actually, what are we actually feed? What what are the kids actually eating? Right. And that mm-hmm. 
has a direct impact on their health and wellness, let alone just for well-being, right? Let alone performance in school, let alone performance on the field or playing surface, right? Yeah, so I think this is important conversation for sports medicine providers because even if you can make small little changes within the snapshot of time that you have them within the school day, be it a bit of education or changing access or changing some of the knowledge of what to eat for health or what many people have heard me (laughs) discuss and try to describe is changing our fluid rehydration practices to limit sugar because sugar is a huge hormone disruptor and disruptor of mitochondrial health. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So let me share some other data. A reason that this topic came to mind recently for me is kind of the topic of food deserts. There was a big economics paper that evaluated new science on food deserts. And it turns out that our our previous kind of knowledge of, of food deserts is not what it seems. And let me try to explain, but we'll also include this this journal article in our show notes. Um, but what these researchers found in this big, big data set that they analyzed was that if you expose low-income households to the same products and prices that are available to high-income households, it only reduces nutritional inequality by about 10%. So it's not a big impact. And that suggests that the other 90% is driven by differences in demand, telling us there's some conclusion that if you increase supply of healthy groceries, like insert a healthy grocery store in a food desert, it's not going to have as big of an impact on nutritional inequality as we previously thought. In the absence of addressing the other factors that I just talked about that lead to food insecurity. How to prepare the food, how to cook it, how to flavor it, right? I, uh, during my doctoral studies, I did a entire like project on creating a, a program within a food desert. And so a lot of, like you were saying, Adam, a lot of the research shows that it's not just providing access to, to the food, but it's educating on how to like self-preserve the food, getting the individuals to take part in like planting, cultivating, like pulling the, the gardening. food, yeah, yeah, gardening, that they found that that helps more to decrease the food insecurities. So and we're seeing it a lot more in inner cities uh, at like elementary schools and things like that. They're having community gardens and where they teach the, the students how to right, pl- plant the fresh fruits and vegetables and harvest them. And what they're seeing is when the students actually take ownership and and being educated on the nutrition that they actually are more likely to consume the products because they kind of take ownership to it. Um, it's funny, like probably like 2016, there was a, there's this music video that came out from, uh, it's from New York. I'm, I'm not sure where, but oh, what's, what's the name of Appetite for Change? I think was the name of the, the program, but it's about grow food. Like it, it's little, little kids in New York talking about like the only options they have is McDonald's and Popeye's on the corner and just talking about grow food and it was a community kitchen and so that was super dope I used to play it all the time to my students and 
you know me and my daughters be singing and stuff like that but yeah it's 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 super important to your point adam that it's not only just providing the fresh foods and fruits and vegetables and it's teaching how to cook them and so i think i've talked about this before Behavior doing my change. research what i found out was uh part of president obama's healthy people 2020 initiative was providing funds to create or to help decrease food deserts and so that's when we start seeing here in california i can only go off off of california and in our specific area in la and riverside county and orange county we start seeing these gonzalez markets or northgate right a lot of these northgates popping up and so a lot of those came Love directly Northgate. from yeah a lot of those came directly from the funding um of healthy people's 2020 and and the obamacare you know that whole package and a lot of people don't don't know that it's like billions of dollars and so in the research that i was reading it was showing like the just the amount of fruits and vegetables that's at like a Northgate compared to like a Ralph's, it was like an extra like 30 like options, right? Of fresh at fruits and vegetables. Gate. Yeah, Northgate. And then I don't know if you've ever seen, like if you go to Northgate and I encourage everybody to make their way over to a Northgate, they have like cooking classes every every week. Yeah, they have have, have cooking classes for the community to come out and it's free. Yep. Yeah, With it's free for mind. the community. Yep. So there is things being done in, in the communities, but I don't think it's being highlighted enough and people just aren't educated on 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 those things. And yeah, it's aimed towards helping the community decrease those food insecurities. So I have a an assumption <clears throat> that many healthcare providers that listen to this podcast would say this is not in my job description to even worry about food insecurity, worry about nutrition. I don't have time to do any of this. What would you say to that? It isn't if it's affecting your patient population, then it isn't your job description because your job is to worry about the health and well-being of your patient population, which if you are working at a high school in the inner city, you are a community health care provider. And this is how athletic trainers can operate more as a community healthcare provider and help their entire community. And not just like we talked about, just the body part or just talking about the anatomical ailments to the, to the community, right? You're there to be able to help the community as a whole decrease their healthcare disparities and food insecurities is definitely one big part of it. It is your job. You, I, I think so. I mean, it was a little bit of a loaded question from Adam. I have one more point. C. Bates, you have thoughts on that? No, nothing further, Your Honor. <laughs> Springbok Analytics is proud to support Atlas and their mission to improve equity across sports medicine. Springbok's all-powered technology transforms MRI images into 3D digital twins of your patient, giving you precise, objective data to inform your rehab and training programs. Go to springboktech.com to get your analysis today and mention at last for a 20% discount. Well, if, you know, I like to throw out some numbers, but in the United States, we spend 97.5% of healthcare dollars on intervention. In the space of prevention, we spend about 2.5% of those dollars. I think athletic trainers and other sports medicine providers can be a key component to more prevention and certainly like how we approach nutrition and what young students are eating is a part of prevention. And so that, that's my urge to people is let's think about 
how broken our food system is and even just tiny little changes that we can do within our current work spaces to try to improve access for people and knowledge and eat healthier. Because I have heard Hawk say that the number one factor or a very large factor to the threat to black lives is access to food. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the number one. What's the number one threat to black lives? Hawk? Food and what we ingest. And the number one killer of our people is what is it? Hypertension, heart disease. This government <laughs> plays a role in that as well. Right. Society and, and our oppression is tied into the food. Right. A lot of people say uh, they say food injustice. We've graduated. We say food apartheid. Right. And that it addresses food insecurity and the, the, the scarceness, the availability of clean foods. But for me, I, I, I like to look at it psychologically. Right. There is poisonous food. If a food gives you a heart attack, if a food gives you diabetes, then it's poison. You have no pushback from us here, bruh. One of right our, epi- you got to listen to some of our other episodes. We got like Dr. Lustig talks about, go ahead. I'm gonna let you finish sugars and all- go ahead. Let me let you finish. Sorry. Yeah. Sugar, you name it. Right. So you have these companies targeting us, black people, targeting poor people, really. Yeah. Telling us to put these things in our bodies. Right. You have Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola. They have the United Negro College Fund, you know, all these scholarship programs. They give all these money to HBCUs. Why? Uh, uh, they give uh, all this money to these Hispanic federations and all these other people. Why? Because if they pay black leadership, then black leadership won't speak out and say, hey, you're giving us heart disease. You're giving us diabetes. You're the reason why grandma had to get her leg amputated. You're the reason why daddy has stints in a pacemaker in his heart. They are paying all of these institutions, these Black and Latinx institutions off. They're paying them off so no one speaks out about the harm that they're doing to our people and to our children. So we're talking about revolution of food has to be a part of that. What'd you say, brother? So they can keep their soda machines on their campuses. Come on. Yeah. Like it's, it's 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 absolutely harmful. What'd you say about the revolution with food? Of uh, what you you said something. The the revolution has to incorporate food, like 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 healthy eating. Like I, that's why I came down here. I've been working out every day, bro. I got blisters on my feet. I I haven't ran a mile since gotcha. twenty nineteen. Right. I did a I did a mile the other night. I've been walking two miles a day. Yesterday I walked and ran three miles, right? Finished in like 56 minutes. I fucking did. I ran a mile. I'm 330 Mm. plus right now. And I did a mile close to my college time. Either my body is strong or I was a lazy piece of shit in college. (laughs) Yeah. Man. You know? All right. So, Hawk, I'm I'm going to try to bring us back to to, uh, a question I asked earlier and and see if we can kind of... Because th- we enjoy this conversation, but we, I want to make it easy to for our listeners to to kind of hear some of the clear, clear takeaways. The question is, so we, we know that you're truly about action on the street level, right? Grassroots, 
and it keeps you very keeps you very right busy on. in your work of advocacy and things like that. When I think about athletic trainers, we have a role in a position of advocacy. Advocacy is like embedded in it's embedded in our in our profession, right? Advocating for the student athlete, whether it's the coach who wants to throw the the athlete in, you know, and it's not time or, you know, whatever it is, right? Maybe we're advocating for the athlete when the athlete doesn't know what's best for them, right? Like like when when Hawk wants to still get back in the game and it's like, yeah. hey, Hawk, you can get back in the game, but dog, look, here are your alternatives. <laughs> when you get your kids and grandkids, you know, so advocacy is a big thing in our role. So with that in mind, what resonates with you about our work as athletic trainers, and maybe even more specifically, what resonates with you about at last us, this at last as an organization, us guys right here that caused you to want to bless us with your time, energy, and, and cognitive load, especially while you in the middle of your zen. Well, I, I, I had to come and talk to you all at, at last because what you're doing is God's work. It's revolutionary work. I always say that we are in this struggle and this fight for black liberation and everybody has a lane. Everyone wants to, when we start talking about black people and liberation, everybody wants to race to the front and lead the path. No, you just need to become a master at being in your lane and you all have mastered being in this lane and, and bringing diversity into the space of athletic training. I believe that you have a role in this revolution because health, right? Right. And we're talking about this revolution, right? It has three heads, right? Right. It's like the black liberation, Holy Trinity. It is health, education, and self-defense right like you know faith yeah. reigns above all that but health education self-defense like that that's it because the health is the mind the mindfulness the body is what we eat it's all inclusive education is all inclusive and self-defense is if you know while we're building this thing you come messing with us yeah. we'll, well i gotta survive up. i gotta live to keep going that's, that's what we have we have yeah that that what we have to understand is uh, we live in a very violent society, and I'm not just talking about our neighborhoods. But we're, we're, mm. I, I'm going off course. Well, of course, please. Yes, you Can may have a little attitude. <laughs> okay, so I, I, I'll even tie it in. Right when we start talking about the body, once um, healthy foods are introduced to people's diets in our community, their propensity to commit violence Facts. goes down. Facts. They've seen Message. this in jail studies. Once you introduce supplements into a person's diet then their propensity to commit violent acts goes down even further but if we're going to talk about violence and the need for black people to do to protect themselves then we have to look at the history of america christopher columbus was violent um the american revolution was an act of violence uh the world wars violence Hiroshima, violence, Vietnam, violence, De Operation Desert Storm, violence. It's nothing but violence in America. But all anybody cares, they, but it's only violence when black people are doing it. That's when it's only pure violence. Oh, so that's in why we don't talk about the Capitol. We're not going to include the Capitol as the a Capitol, violent act. That wasn't, but it wasn't black folks, so we're not going to call it violence. 
Exactly. Exactly. Oh, okay. All right. Oh man. Sorry. So so we're so we're you are we're we're so spot on. We have to get back to our ways before our interactions with the people who control America. That was very communal, be it in Africa or be it the black people who were here in America, because there were black people who were here in America that got classified in with the with the slaves that came over on boats and therefore didn't have any claim to their land when tribes were getting land. But I, I just go off on tangents. You'll gotta reel me in sometimes. <laughs> you know what so, I mean? so, 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 yeah, no, that's good. That's good. You take us off off road in a little bit. So again, you were really giving some affirmation for us and our work with at last, and and beyond that, though, you were affirming the importance of our profession in our. You were talking about being in our lane and how we are a part of the revolution of a better of a better world. Right. So so in terms of you, you know, coming to be with us, you know, I think you answered it right. You 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 needed to come and and just give us that word. I I mean, like, I'm just like, dang, this is this is far more important than assessing injuries and taping ankles like this work as an athletic trainer. Has implications to revolutionize our our society and our world. Go ahead, Adam. And I will add too. this is this is tough conversation for some people, right? Things about race and injustice and oppression. But but the reality is sports medicine is white. Right. There's there's fifty five thousand athletic trainers in the United States and three percent, maybe as high as four are black. But the athletes that we care for are 90 percent black at some institutions at most college and university programs. Say that, bro. And so we need to set some example to just talk about it. Like let's let's meet people where they're at and have these real discussions about what our daily life and existence entails and get a little bit more comfortable with having these discussions because this is real life. And not just saying, well, I'm treating this individual as an ankle injury. Right. Yep. That's real. So with your understanding, Hawk, of race and injustice in our society, why is it important for us at at last and for athletic trainers, for surgeons, for physical therapists, whoever, everybody else. Why is it important, strength and conditioning coaches, why is it important for those folks and including myself or, and, and us here at At Last, why is it important for us to seek racial diversity in our field of sports medicine? I think for the reasons that Adam just said, that was fucking perfect. For the reasons that Adam just said, like, so, so you have 55,000 athletic trainers, 3% of black, but the majority of the people they serve are black people or or people of black people and other people of color. I am diametrically opposed to those numbers in any set of circumstances. This is why the work of At Last is so important because as a people, we can no longer be the majority of anything and have the people who make money and benefit off of that thing not look like us. Mm. That goes for sports teams and ownership. 
agents. Yeah, that go all that. for colleges. They're bringing a lot of money through their athletic departments. Yeah. Those numbers should be re- reflected in the diversity of the staff, mm. right? That goes for pro teams. I don't give. I don't care what business it is. I don't care what business. If you look at the 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 the, the what was it? Good hair with Chris Rock. Oh and yeah. He talked about how much money black women and black people spend on their hair, and it's controlled by by Asian Asians. people and other people who do not look like us. Yeah. Like that's, that's insane to me. That dynamic works for no other people. And that's that's part of the revolution. So y'all are truly doing revolutionary work. We are revolutionaries. Dang, that's what's up. Oh my goodness. MedBridge provides evidence-based courses, unlimited CEUs, home exercise programs featuring 6,000 plus exercises and more. Use promo code THEADVANTAGE that's T-H-E-A-T-V-A-N-T-A-G-E to get an annual MedBridge subscription. And if we don't do this work, Hawk, what happens? What are the cons for us at At Last if we don't strive to improve health, health equity for athletes from underserved communities? Consequences. I, I mean, a pro is you might go a lot further in your career. Bow, right? <laughs> Nobody likes people like us. They love us when we win. Mm. But while we're doing the work, people fight against us. Like it's 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 weird. So the cons, right? The cons. Our grandchildren will be having these same conversations. Like what you have to realize is maybe not in the same set of circumstances. But the same conversations were had pertaining to other professions 50, 60 years ago. The Black Panthers were asking for the same things that I'm asking for. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X were asking for these things before the Panthers. Right? Frederick Douglass and those folks were asking for similar things. I can't live with myself. And and I take it that, that Dr. Ross, uh, Adam, and yourself, good brother, like I take it that y'all could not live with yourselves if you let this continue. Mm. You know what I mean? If you let this continue. So absolutely, like, the absolute worst thing that can happen is if you let these things continue, the athletes will suffer because they won't have people who understand them. Our people will suffer because they don't have access. And then we keep feeding into this, this white supremacist power structure that keeps white people at the top and white people benefiting the most at, of, in these professions that are run or performed or, or made, that, that people are making careers off the backs of black people. It's like fucking slavery. It's apropos at minimum, at minimum. Yeah. Right. Like it's like it's like slavery. So, you know, y'all are y'all are freedom fighters. You guys are the Harriet Tubman's of the sports medicine world. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yo, that's my new social media uh post. I'm Harriet Tubman of Sports Medicine. <laughs> Bro, we gotta do some like we gotta do some paraphernalia with that, dog. 
God damn. Did Har- Harriet Tubman have a white friend? Can I can I be that? Friend? <laughs> yeah. For sure she did. Bro. <laughs> Where you think she made her stop? There was a white dude, an uh, abolitionist who took over an armory. He was badass. I think his name was John something or another. But it was him and his sons. These were like bad motherfuckers. Who were like, <laughs> oh, America understands war. We're going to shoot slave owners. <laughs> like, like, it was some badass white dudes back in the days. Wow. That nobody talks about. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you be one of those, Adam. He is, bruh. He is. So some history. I, I mean, like, Adam and I went to school together at Cal State Fullerton, predominantly white school, Orange County. Southern California, me and Kristen grew up together in Linwood in the inner city. And he ended up in this profession too. So it was natural for us to just tap him in for this type of cause. But Adam just, you know, he is that guy, man, because back in 2020, when everything was hitting the fan and becoming more apparent to the world, Adam called me up like, Hey, you know, it was more like checking in, like, man, how, how are we doing? How are you doing? Here's how I'm doing. You know, he's sharing how he's feeling about things and just, he was more fed up about the shit than I was, honestly. Wow. You know, because I, exactly. I was, you know, I was in a posture where it was like, you know, and you might you might get on me a little bit about this, hog, but I was in a posture. It's like, yeah, man, this is another goddamn day. You know, this is this is another day. Right. So, I mean, there was some some sense of fatigue and just yeah. a sense of like hopelessness. It's like, I don't really know what the hell I could do, bro. Like, I, I don't oh. really know. But then. When Adam is just like, man, I got some ideas of what we can do. And I'm like, all right, well, what you thinking? Let's hear it. And so we just start talking amongst ourselves. Just like, first, let's just talk about how we doing with about this. And then that led to like, you know what? We should let other people hear these conversations in terms of how this is impacting the work that we do as athletic trainers. So then it was like, oh, okay, well, let's, let's do a podcast. And then the podcast came and then it was like, well, let's start. We realized we wanted to, and then Kristen's involved with us too. And a lot of initiatives and from his perspective, he like, we need to do seminars and we need to do all these things. So it was like, we need a, a we need a, an, a vehicle to be able to carry this stuff. So we need, we're going to start yeah. this, nonpro- we're going to start this nonprofit. So here comes at last the nonprofit that we're still trying to get up and going. So anyway, just a little more context for you to understand who we are and, and how Adam actually is, is that guy, you know, and we're grateful, you know, we're grateful for him and the work that he he does he does and the passion that he has so well that that leads me to an important question for hawk because you mentioned fatigue chris and we're like 4 years into this nonprofit space and i have felt significant fatigue just getting people to donate time to even think about some concepts it is hard to mobilize people. And Hawk, you <laughs> you do that, right? You, right on. You are a mobilizer. And how do you overcome the fatigue of just people not caring about social justice? Oh, man. Like, like let's be real. What are you doing right now? Okay. Amen to that. You talk about mobilizing. There's the mobilizing when you see 2,000 or 20,000. And then there's the mobilizing when somebody dies and you see 12 people. That's when it hurts. That's when it's frustrating. That's when the blood is dried up. George Floyd ain't trending no more. All the new leaders 
who emerged during George Floyd have went back home. And now it's like, who's really holding these people down? Who's holding down the people? And it's us, right? God, first and foremost. Amen. Um, I got my kids. I got my little girl who's a trip. I feel sorry for the world because she is me to a T, but way more aggressive and assertive. I got my moms, my little sister, my team helps me a lot because like my team isn't like followers. You know, I'm a leader, right? I'm the leader, but my team isn't followers. Like my team is a bunch of leaders who just line up behind me, but step to the forefront and lead when they need to. Right. Like that's how, that's how we move. So I got a good team. Yeah. That's a, that's a strong that's team. A strong image. That's, that's the only way to have a team, bro. Like our numbers aren't crazy. We never have more than 10 core members. Now we can bring 10,000 in the street, but I'm paranoid. Cointel pro. You know, these pigs want to take me down. I don't trust people. So we keep a tight unit, but everybody carries their own weight. Everybody does something. This dude over here is a rapper, poet. She is an airline hostess, but she has a huge following in the vegan community. She's a vegan activist. Mario is out there in the streets with us, but Mario is the principal of our school. Wow. I've seen Mario get busy. Yeah. You understand? Like, wow. this is how we move. And we just, we just, like, my sister is everything. Like, my sister, forget about it. If she was a man, she'd be in jail already. Okay. Because she's just a real raw dog with it. But, yeah. you know, she, once upon a time, before she went to business school, she was, she took some fashion courses. And she used to style Carmelo Anthony for, like, a hot second. She was, like, the assistant of his stylist. So she's wearing our fashion suit right now. Right, because she knows how to do this shit. She brought in the makeup artist, the stylist, and everybody. And now this is like our team is just great. So you talked about what makes it easier for me. Prayer. The ability to apply perspective to things. Right? Because you can't change the situation, but you can change how you view the situation. You can't change how people behave but you could change how you interpret their behavior. So I am a why are they kind of person. Mm. You know what I mean? Why are they doing this? As opposed to why did they do this to me? Why are they and why did they? It's it's, it's small little dynamic. Subtle, yeah, but good. That's a good distinction. But, But it makes the world of a difference. So now I'm trying to understand why are you behaving like this? Instead of, why the hell did you do this stupid shit? Now, don't get me wrong. I curse people out. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. No, I, they, I am not. I am not. I am, a, a, I am, you know, there's this world we live in where people have to hug people when they make mistakes <laughs> and not get mad at them. I reject that world. Mm. I'm going to curse you out. And I'm going to say, why the fuck did you do some stupid shit? Okay. If you grew up around people like me, if you were coached by people like me, then you will get me. If you don't, then stay away from this quasi-toxic work environment. We love you, but this isn't the place for you to work. Every place is not for 
everybody. Does that make sense? Yep. Does that make sense? Every place is not, and like, y'all are like, uncomfortable. Facts, yeah. <laughs> like, no, nah. every place is not for everybody. Like, yeah. Yep. I'm a Bobby Knight. Yeah, choke, choke you, throw a chair you across the floor. Knight. Yeah. Yep. Throw chairs and wild out. Yep. Yeah. And then you had like Phil Jackson and Pat Riley. I'm Bobby Knight. Right. Right. I'm a crazy chair kicking motherfucker. I'm sorry. I don't know how much I can curse. You good. You no, good. No, you good. Okay. I'm you a good. crazy chair kicking motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's so funny that you say that because. So just thinking of perspective from like sports medicine and sports. So I, I was one of the athletic trainers for the JBA, which is LeVar Ball started for right his on. sons. Right. Stay in your lane. LeVar Ball all day. Uh-huh. So uh, while, we, while we were on the road, the one of the coaches from uh, the Chicago team kind of put his hands on one of the kids during the timeout. It was just telling him like, look, man. And, and that kid was one of like somebody from his block. You know what I mean? Like so so it's like somebody he grew up knowing the kid, mm-hmm. raising the kid, they have that relationship. But everybody just saw it in the media, saw it on TV, and was like, no, nah, he gotta go. So they end up like relieving the coach from all the pressures from from the media. Yeah. Even though the coach was the coach was still involved in the background. Like he's still, you know, chilling with us. He's just not on the sideline, yeah. you know, or in the arena, you know, but they they don't like you said, like Bobby Knight. It, like when you grow up in that, like, and I understand people say, Oh, it's toxic and stuff like that. But it's like, yeah, sometimes like either you get it or you don't, you know what I mean? And and it, and most of the time it comes from a place of love. That's how it's gotta be, bro. Firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's that. But they don't, they don't like, people don't understand that. People don't understand that. Like we are, we are at war. with white supremacy. Mm. We are at war. And, and white, su- um, white supremacy is at war with us. Consistently. For sure. Consistently. There, there ain't nothing nice about this. Mm. Like, there's nothing nice about this. I'm not coming out here to hold hands with every white person in the world and say kumbaya. No. Like, no. I'm here to build up black people. And if white people want to help us, then Adam. You go out and talk to other white professionals who look like you because they'll listen to you a little bit differently than they'll listen to me. It's a place for everybody in this. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? But like, make no mistake about it. Like, this ain't hold hands and sing Kumbaya. This is rally the troops, teach the people, feed the people. And, 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 and they're, they're, there's nothing politically correct about it. Is there anything politically correct about the choking of George Floyd? Is there anything politically correct about giving money to Afghanistan, Asians, and Ukrainians and will not be willing to have a conversation about reparations? Mm. There's nothing politically correct about the way we're treated in this country. So um, I, I could care less about how people view the stances we take. Yeah. At Vantage is the premier provider for non-traditional work, advocacy, and resources while pushing the boundaries of athletic training. Follow them on social media at The At Vantage and join their email list for an even deeper dive into all things non-traditional and access to more boundary-pushing content. 
the Sister Academy of Advantage, their academy arm is who brings you great educational content like this podcast. For more resources on professional development, starting a business, or advocacy, head to AdvantageAcademy.com. Man, look, we can go on. I kind of want to just keep, we going, we'll pause the recording and chill for a second after, but <laughs> man, we want to, we want to really thank you. That's necessary. We definitely, definitely want to thank you for your time, Hawk. And especially because we, you know, we know that the sacrifice that you made for you during your time, you know, like you, you kind of in your little retreat space and you are still willing to take it, man, that's speaking, <clears throat> that's speaking to me too. So I want to thank you for that. But let's also let's also recognize Hawk for his sacrifice of his life, his life, his absolutely. family, Not just people being with close us. to him. Yeah. Um, this is this is uh, not an exaggeration in any means, which is Hawk is a present day blend of Malcolm X, MLK. Who who do I need to add into that that mix? Like he, he's real day revolutionary. Yeah, thank you. That's I appreciate true. that. And we know and we know the stuff that they went those dudes went through in their outcomes. Yeah. Imagine, right. imagine so, the, the the cognitive load placed on Hawk daily, the stress in his life daily, yeah. the emotional stress, the pro-social stress. Yeah. I mean, it's like, bro, if if he's not doing these things, who is? Amen. Your stylist ain't getting there till twelve thirty. <laughs> Fucking black people, bro. Yeah, but I you still you still rocking with them though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah. my people, but we definitely be on our shit, yo. Definitely be on our shit. Yeah. All right, right but word. Can't nobody else say that about us though. Right. Only we can say that about our people. Right. Don't you try to say that about my people. Yeah. I'm not saying that. (laughs) Yeah, he said I'm not. (laughs) I hear you, Adam. (laughs) 